Welcome to Kung Fu Podcast, where we explore the culture, the adventure, and the impact of martial arts. Thank you so much for joining me in episode number 182. And if this is your first time to the program, you're going to find that you're in the audience of some of the finest and sharpest martial artists in the world. People that put in a great deal of care and put in a lot of sweat equity to hone in their craft. In today's episode, I'm going to take a few moments and share with you what I call the summer sword battle. Then I'm going to share with you why I put together the 10-minute video on finding the archer inside and how that's going to relate later to some of the upcoming episodes. Then lastly, three approaches to teaching basically anything. It's about perspective that can transcend martial arts and go to pretty much any area you really want to apply it. So if you're ready, I'm ready. Let's get this program rolling. Sitting in the morning sun I'll be sitting when the evening comes Watching the ships roll in then I watch them roll away again. Yeah, I'm sitting on the dock of the bay, watching the tide roll away. A couple of weeks ago, I put together some pictures and some video of us doing a summer sword battle. Now, those were those swords that were about three and a half foot long, they're foam, and you know, we were having a great time with it. As we're going through it, you know, it doesn't matter in those sorts of uh, games of skill and play, whether it's a 15-year-old versus me or whoever it is. But one of the things it does bring out is a sense of playful intensity. And I believe a lot of times, whether we're practicing anything, that we can leave out intensity for the sake of trying to do it right or moving smoothly. Sometimes, you know, we don't give ourselves the ability to push into the area where we get uncomfortable, and intensity definitely can cause some uh, uncomfortability. It can also create some errors, which is part of what we want to try to push ourselves that we can see where our errors are. But even though we were playing with the swords and it became intense, it was also done very playfully. Uh, you know, you're a martial artist, I'm a martial artist. Irregardless, none of us like to get beat, and especially when you're getting whipped by a 14-year-old who just happens to be, you know, a little faster and perhaps has a little bit more stamina than you do. So you have to bring out all the stops of sneakiness and cleverness that you can do in order to back him up a little bit. But the other thing it does is that it brings out all of your skills that you may have at your disposal, whether that is in strategy and how you're going to move around the room or keeping yourself in certain areas where you're trying to force them to go to others. But it also brings out your flaws, the things that you have tendencies to do. And sometimes you might not want to do that against that sort of person. Are, are they taller than you? Are they longer than you? Are they faster than you? You know, these are things that when you have uh, a quick assessment of who you're going against, you have to put that in your strategy and implement on the moment. You know, we're not going to have time to game plan. Uh, it's time to get on it now. 
But one of the things with the intensity and the playfulness is that it sometimes brings out a great deep laughter. And there is nothing better to help you learn along the way than learning to laugh. And when you're with your friends and it gets intense, whether you're on a basketball court or you're doing swords in a room that's padded so nobody can get hurt, I really believe bringing laughter when it's appropriate to your training and it's in there and you can learn from it, it helps lighten the whole mood. And most of all, you know what? It brings out a youthfulness in my heart that it allows me to learn to play and not to lose why I do some of the things I do and keep encouraging others to be lighthearted and intense as they move forward in anything in their life. And as you already know, if you ever pursue anything that you really want, any sort of passion, you're going to have some intense moments. And being able to learn from it with a light heart can help you get through those tough times a lot faster and a lot more effectively. The next thing on the list was recently I have published a 10-minute video that I titled, Finding the Archer Inside. It was a little story I was out for a walk about how I was struggling in my early 30s and how I had to adjust handling conflictive situations. As we were talking about intensity a little while ago, sometimes when we have a conflictive conversation we have to have or a conflictive negotiation, I mean, things can get a little bit intense. I had not developed the skills at that point on how to handle different type of situations and especially if I was taking crap off of somebody. And I was instructed on learning to find the attitude of the archer to approach things a little differently. As you already know, archery has long been associated with martial arts. I mean, the physical skill of archery. And as well, Confucius would use metaphors from archery to help define one's character. And in fact, we're going to explore that even further in an upcoming episode where we're going to look at a scholastic essay on how archery was used to help not just evaluate, but to measure character. This is an amazingly well-done essay, and I look forward to sharing it with you coming up here very soon. Which now brings me to the highlight of the program. Three approaches to teaching basically anything. And in my mind, there has never really been one way to teach, and that is the only way to teach. Now, if you didn't know this about me, when I got out of college several decades ago, I was certified as a teacher to be a school teacher here in North Carolina. And it was something that was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be because you had to learn all these different ways to teach the same material. And for example, you might learn that each student is unique in their preference to learning. For example, they're the auditory, the kinesthetic, or visual learner. That's kind of the standard way of looking at it. And they will normally subconsciously hint to it. So as they're talking to you, they'll say, well, you know, I feel what you mean. Or they may say, oh, yeah, I can see that. And a lot of times, for example, with my son, he'll say something like, well, I hear you, Dad. And it's usually hints that the person prefers to learn that specific way more often or not. It is not by any way that that's the only way they'll learn. It just gives you a hint of how you might want to take your first approach with them. I'm definitely a first forehand kinesthetic tactile learner. 
let me touch it, let me feel it, move me in the right position, put me there, let me just get a hold of it somehow. But in this school system scholastic paradigm, the teacher is always trying to get all of the students to the finish line. Now, that's the goal. Of course, we know that that can happen, but they try to have that as your ideal, but you know, not everyone is going to be prepared to make it through the sixth grade or the seventh grade at any particular time. Some people need to move forward at their own paces, and it's not always the same as the rest of the group. Nothing's wrong with that. But part of the problem is, is that we're talking about an intellectual, scholastic institution. And if that teacher can't routinely get all of their people, or let's say 90% of their people across the finish line, their teaching skills will come into question whether they're good teachers or not. And that may be totally appropriate in a scholastic situation. That's what you sign up for when you decide to go in there as a teacher. But when it comes to learning Chinese martial arts and life lessons, the traditional Chinese way of teaching usually is not like this. First of all, the responsibility of learning life lessons and martial arts lies mostly upon the student to learn how they are being taught. This was a pivotal part of my training. I distinctly writing notes in my journal about how I had to learn how to learn. Now was that the best way or the right way? It didn't really matter. The point is is that I had to open my mind up to other ways of learning and that one skill right there has helped me immensely throughout the course of my life. Learning how to learn in more ways than the only way that you prefer to learn can make you a better student in anything. Now we also have to understand and respect that every student will come with their gifts. They're going to have their limitations, their potentials, and their transitions from one to the other. As a teacher of the Chinese martial arts, I give all of my students equal opportunities to learn and develop, but there is never any pressure to move at a certain pace. Like, for example, you have to be at the finish line by the end of this scholastic school year. Nor is there any sense that they are a failure because they have not advanced fast enough as a practitioner. I believe that these are critical and holding on to the attitude of being a good martial arts teacher. The following is a story by Jonathan Bluestein, who I featured here in the last episode about teaching martial arts. I believe that this doesn't just apply to martial arts, but you can look at it and apply to it almost in every area that you wish to, whether it is academic or not. But if it's a life learning and it's something that you're going to take some time with and it's something that's important, I would encourage you to give every student the consideration of the three approaches to teaching practically anything. He writes, the martial arts teacher, a painter and a gardener. As martial arts teachers, we can learn quite a lot by comparing our craft with other skill sets and types of teaching, art, and cultivation. Here in this article, you will find two fantastic examples with very practical lessons to them, applicable for us directly at our martial arts school. Bear with me for a moment as I make a necessary introduction to these ideas. Aside from teaching the martial arts, Jonathan says he has several hobbies, one of which is gardening. He says that his wife, on the other hand, is a painter. 
Consider with care the innate differences between the methodology of a classical painter and that of a garner. The painter is an artist whose task begins with an empty canvas. They are drawn to fill in that blank with their vision. Little by little, more color is added, one stroke aside or atop of another, until a piece is formed. Frequently, judgment will dictate that constant remodeling of a corner or a seam must be done, until some sort of perfection is attained. Many of the best painters, both present and past, take months and sometimes years to complete a single image because of this process of self-correction. The ability to revise repeatedly as means of achieving the ideal is considered a mark of technical excellence. The gardener, however, is faced with a different reality. Their work begins not with the emptiness of a canvas, but rather with a substance with its own vision, a seed. Then despite the fact that many plants require maintenance and management in their growth process, this is not considered effective. Under perfect conditions with the right soil, proper sun exposure, adequate rainfall, timely sowing, all these harmonies companion together and the organism will reach its optimal growth and yield on its own. The best of gardeners, past and present, work relatively few hours at their masterpieces. When the seed meets the conditions for which they were born, nature's green children can find their way independently, and further human judgment and intervention is not necessary. John continues by saying that isn't it ironic then that in teaching the martial arts, that he was always more of a painter than a gardener. He would like for his students to know what is expected of them, to correct their faults, you know, fix that corner frequently, and to continuously revise their movements and thoughts until they can reach a satisfactory manner of performance relative to their physical condition, age, and experience. Yet over the years, he has also learned to operate more like a gardener when he's teaching. That is, for example, to refrain from correcting people when they are succeeding, even if there are some mistakes. To not always reveal the answers for every twist and every turn. To allow the person to express themselves and their movement and be patient with such exploration. For each student is a seed with its own vision and potential. The best martial arts teachers can conduct themselves as neither the classical gardener or the painter, but as the master of bonsai, but as the master of the art of bonsai. Such masters combine the foremost positive qualities of both the painter and the gardener. They take it upon themselves to care for and maintain this miniature tree. In the process, what is created is a balance between the vision of the artist and that of the tree itself. Because the tree is kept at a modest size, each small modification to its structure may yield substantial repercussions. For this reason, the bonsai master must carefully choose and gently apply only those changes to the structure of the tree, which the organism itself is in agreement with. Eventually, the tree grows into a magnificent form which pleases both the master and everyone who looks upon the creation. But this can only be an articulation to which the plant itself saw fit to be molded into, for otherwise it would not have grown well at all. 
Some bonsai trees live for centuries and are catered for by several generations of individuals. The bonsai is akin in that respect to a martial art, and each generation of practitioners manifests a unique and ever-changing relationship with it. The art, likewise, has its own vision and a distinct manner of growth and expression. By adhering to these principles which stem from the original seed, the art continues to thrive. This is the root of all traditional martial arts. Jonathan Bluestein, the gardener and the painter as a teacher. I hope you enjoyed that. I can honestly tell you that this was one of those things where, you know, fortunately I have been doing this for a long time, and it's my approach, for example, in trying to raise my son. Would I like for him to be certain things? Sure. Is that being me, like so I'm trying to paint him to be exactly what I want him to be? No. Am I a gardener who just kind of throws the seeds out there and does everything and let him uh, take it the way that he wants to and become exactly who he wants to? No. I try to do a little bit of both. I try to give him the right things, some paint some boundaries and paint some areas I like I, and believe that it's important for him to excel in. And then allow him to express himself within this framework to grow and flourish. If I push too hard, he bucks. If I don't push enough, he wanders off into places he shouldn't. So it's always a little bit of an art, but there's some real principles behind it. I hope you'll consider supporting this program by going to KungFuPodcast.com forward slash support and becoming a member. I'm putting out material each and every week, and I believe that you'll find the bonus episodes and some of the other videos I put out to be very useful in various areas. Then in closing, when you get ready to practice this week, make sure that you set aside some time to really get playfully intense. Really go at it. Bring out all your skills don't be afraid to make errors and, you know, and put yourself on the challenging edges of maybe even getting beat every now and then. It brings out a lot of good things that you can use in a lot of other areas. Laughter always brings out a happiness and a youthfulness that we can always use. Have a fantastic practice today, and I'll be talking with you again real soon. <music>